Hi, and thanks for hitting the snooze button. My name is Neil Headley. Welcome to episode number 13, and thank you for continuing to keep the snooze button podcast ranked among the category leaders in the United States, in Canada, and in Germany. Welcome to all the sleepy people who are, like I am, looking for answers. And to that end, I'm going to feature a follow-up appointment here with my sleep doctor, Mark Boulis at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto, as we learn the difference that just a couple of small tweaks to your sleep can make. We review the numbers from my second sleep lab, and there's only a couple of things that we're doing differently compared to the first one, and wait till you hear what a huge difference it makes. Now, a couple things to tell you about next week's episode. Um, First of all, giveaways make their way into the show for the first time. We're going to leverage the fact that we've had a number of authors on the show before, uh, and we're going to start giving away copies of their books here on the show. Uh, So keep that in mind, and we'll get that started on the December 2nd episode. Also, on the December 2nd episode, we begin our celebrity series. Uh, If you're new to the show, the whole idea is that I am going to get help not only from neuroscientists and whatnot, trying to lick my sleep issues that I've had for the last 30 years, but also talk to a bunch of celebrities and high achievers and people who have jobs that present probably, let's call them sleep challenges. Um, One of those is going to join us on the show next week, and I'm excited because he's one of my comedy idols. Um, I used to try and write like this guy. I used to try and perform somewhat like this guy, adopt a sort of a similar stage presence. Um, I told broadcasting students that the best radio morning shows out there in the world are based at least loosely on his sitcom. Uh, And he's going to be the guest on the show next Monday, December the 2nd. So I'll tell you more about that as it gets closer as well. But right now, without any further ado, Mark Boulis, my sleep doctor from Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. Okay, so first of all, I have to tell you uh, thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. No, no, no. Not for the reason you think. Uh, I mean, thanks for making time and all that, yada, yada. That's great. Um, But the thing I wanted to say thank you for was because uh, for people who were here listening last time you were on the show... um, I have been, you diagnosed me with restless leg syndrome and uh, told me that I was, I had a periodic limb movement index of 82, which basically meant that I was kicking and thrashing around uh, about every 40 or 45 seconds all night. And you put me on something called Mirapex, which is a drug that, as I understand it, is primarily used for Parkinson's. Uh, And you put me on a low dose. And I don't think you and I have talked about this. The very first night on the Mirapex, my wife wakes up the next morning and she says, it was like sleeping with a completely different person, which I don't know if that's if that's good or bad. Um, but she said, I didn't move at all from the very first. And I, I don't move in my sleep anymore other than occasionally changing positions. But most of the time I'm aware of those. So as far as the restless leg and the periodic limb movement issue, uh, it's been knocked out of the park since the first night. And that has been a huge game changer. So thank you. Wonderful. I'm really glad to hear that. You know, actually on your follow-up sleep study, which we'll talk about in more detail in a moment, your periodic limb movement index actually went down to 1.5, which is wonderful. That's Wait a minute, 1.5 like per hour? Per hour, that's right. So it went from 82. Which if you were listening to last week's episode, you heard Guy Leshziner describe as quite sporting <laughs> and impressive. <laughs> 
Well, the good news now is that it's back to a normal. It's, it's in a normal range now. It's 1.5 per hour, which is completely normal, really. That's so it tells us that the Meripax A, you're feeling well, and B, the Meripax is also controlling you know the physical movements at night. That's all terrific. That's amazing. Okay, so the main thing and the main reason that uh, Mark and I are sitting down today is because it's time to figure out what happened the second night. Um, again, if you were here for Mark's episode, uh, you know that I I came in for a sleep study at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto, which is kind of, at least in Canada, it's the gold standard. If you're going to get a sleep lab done somewhere, this is the place you want to come. Um, and came in and we figured out a bunch of stuff that was wrong. And we talked about, you know, the, the first night and all that thing. And we talked about Mark's uh, amazing website that he and his team put together at psgnorms.com, which is spectacular. Uh, and I've referred a pile of people to go and look at it. Even in the sleep industry, people didn't know sleep industry, I guess the sleep world. There are a lot of sleep professionals that didn't know that site was out there yet. And so I'm, I'm hearing anecdotally that they've come to value that site a great deal but i came back for the follow-up to see what the impact of the mirapex was and while i was here how lucky am i that we also uh strapped a cadillac to my face and uh okay I'm, i'm exaggerating a little bit that's what it felt like in the moment we put a cpap machine on me and so we're here to figure out what kind of an impact that had so let me tell you what i experienced because i know that from your end the the experiential side of it from the patient is is sometimes equally important with the data so for me uh i felt like i was awake even more with the cpap machine on than i was when i didn't have it so my anecdotally what i would report and apologies in advance if anyone who makes CPAP machines is listening. I'm not saying this to to uh, cast a negative light on it. Um, my perception of my sleep that night was that it was about the same, uh, but that the discomfort of having the CPAP machine on uh, kept me awake maybe even a little more. But you're, you, when I walked in, you were smirking as if I have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, you're, you know, uh, there's sometimes a disconnect between what we record in the lab the physiological signals and what someone actually experiences. And of course, patient experience is like super important. Um, but for example, when you first came to the lab, you slept for 85% of the night. With the CPAP on, you actually slept for 91% of the night. That's a big deal. Yeah, so that's a big difference. So you gained about 6%. It's not a huge amount of more sleep, but it's better sleep. And the cumulative effect over many years probably is very beneficial. You, you've got you've got millions and millions of people that are are looking for any edge they can get. If you could tell them that they could do X and it would give them a one percent increase in their sleep, they'd be like, "Okay, sign me up. I'm in because I need sleep." Absolutely. Probably the more important bit is that all with the use of CPAP on that sleep study, all your sleep parameters actually improved. So, for example, remember how you had. Only one percent and three. Yeah, you that's remember the that, one eh? I keep throwing at people. Yeah, that's been haunting me. <laughs> well, now it's increased to seven percent. Okay, so that's really good. That's so not it's not awesome, but it's still good. It, it's pretty good, you know. And I wonder if over time, you know, if that will actually continue to improve as well. I remember on your psgnorms.com website, which by the way, you should go look at because it's it's amazing. It will tell you the difference between uh, what on last week's episode, Guy Leshzner referred to as the first night effect. Um, so the difference between the first night and the second night, for me, normal first night in a sleep lab, I should have been at 
I believe it was 19.2% N3, and I was at one. Right, so normal N3 is around 20% all comer, you know, across the ages. Um, so right now, again, you started at 1%, you're now at around 7%, so that is better. It's, it's way better. It's way better, it's seven times better. And again, you know, as one sleep improves over time, I think there could even be further increases in your N3 sleep. So I think that's all extremely positive. The, all, the other thing is that you had marginally increased REM sleep as well. And REM sleep is another stage of sleep that's super important, as we know, for consolidating memories and other important effects. So again, that's all, that's all really good. Okay, so, and, and I'm, I'm optimistic because of the thing that you said that we might be able to take that 7% of N3 and crank that number a little higher. And that's kind of become my mission now, right? Is because, okay, so with the medication for the restless leg and, uh, and with the, uh, the CPAP machine, I went from a 1 to a 7. Now, would we expect that if I just stayed the course with what exactly what I'm doing right now, don't change anything, my regimen is Mirapex and CPAP, do we think that 7 would go up? Is that the kind of thing that over time will increase or am I basically, am I, do I look at that as, okay, so now my new normal is 7%. Now I need to figure out what other things I can do to drive that number up. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I think it's always good to look at other factors as well and see, you know, what can improve the quality of your sleep, right? Um, so things like, again, increasing your sleep time, different medication effects could have it. And there are other things as well that could affect also your N, you know, your stage N3 sleep. But this is all, you're doing all the right things right now and pushing things in the right direction to improve. So if there weren't microphones in our faces right now, uh, and, and we were just having a regular conversation in your office, doctor to patient, your assessment of where I am right now is, yeah, you know what, this is good. Keep doing this, you're, and, and let's see where it goes next. Is that is that where I am? Absolutely, yeah. And we would talk about a lot of sort of non-medical things like good sleep hygiene that could also help improve uh, stage N3 sleep. So for example, probably if you got more sleep, you would be also able to consolidate more N N3 sleep because this may come later in the night. I can, you know, it can come at any stage of the night, but increasing your sleep time overall may actually help a little bit in that regard. So for example, on the sleep study day, you slept for about five hours and we can discuss your day-to-day -day routine and see is there any way you can you know increase the number of hours of sleep that you get although it's obviously going to be challenging because of you know because you have to be up so early in the morning but there are things like that sometimes also benzodiazepines also uh, which benzodiazepines are just a fancy way of sleeping pills they're a one class of sleeping pills and uh, they can actually suppress uh, uh, stage N3 sleep as well. So I know you're not using any of those, but if you were, that would be the kind of thing I would advise patients to, to uh, you know, to not use. And there's other little bits and pieces of advice like that. Again, like the general sleep hygiene things. So. Uh, yeah, when you talk about sleeping pills, and and I don't, I mean, so do things like Ambien and Somnex, can you even get Somnex anymore? I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Uh, but those kind of things, that falls into that category? Yeah, that's right. They, they do. Because here's what I see, and I've been looking at this a lot lately. There are all these sleep discussion groups on the internet, Facebook and Reddit and everywhere else, where there are scores of people who are just desperate for answers. And if it's, if it's a group of Americans talking, one of the most common things you'll hear is that their insurance doesn't cover polysomnography. Uh, 
so yes. they can't go to a sleep lab because their insurance won't pay for it. Uh, unlike in Canada and in the UK, where it's yeah, it's covered. If you have government health insurance, it's covered. So they are trying all kinds of things. They're like they're nailing Jello to the wall just to try and see what they can get to stick. And they're talking about, oh, I, I'm doing this sleeping pill and it wasn't working, so I tried, I stopped that and tried this and, and all of these things. And every once in a while, I'll just jump into the conversation and go, what are you, what is it you're trying to treat? Because I know it's obvious that you've self-diagnosed so and, and you've self-prescribed and all of these different things. So where is this even coming from? And and you start to realize, and I've had this conversation with so many people now who do what you do for a living, unless you're sitting across the table from an actual sleep professional, good luck. Yeah. There are a lot of things circulating around right now that we have to be careful about because a, a lot of people can advertise and sometimes inaccurately that their remedy or their solution will be helpful for sleep, yet unfortunately, it's just the money grab. And I'm not trying to pinpoint any specific industry or anything like that about it, but we see this all the time where people falsely advertise uh, things. And you know maybe they helped in a small number of people, but the truth is that this has never been, or these approaches have never been rigorously studied. So it's always really good to see your sleep specialist look for things that have been medically tested. And whenever I, I deal with a lot of industry partners, whenever someone brings me a, a product, I'm like, let's test it. Let's take a look at it. We shouldn't, you know, we should be objective and test it in a robust way. And if it works, you know, we can put that into the medical literature and we can make that practice uh, like a practice standard or even a practice option for sleep specialists around the world. But until it's been rigorously tested, um, you know, one has to be careful for the claims that they make. Well, and it's funny as well, the, the just the conventional wisdom uh, of, uh, oh, if you're having trouble, try this. Like, uh, I remember the episode with uh, Dr. Linnell Schneeberg from Connecticut Children's Medical Center, but she's also a professor at Yale, um, who talked about vitamin M. Because you go into your, you know, your family doctor, your general practitioner complaining about sleep and doctors will air quotes around the word prescribe melatonin, uh, which she says is known throughout the sleep world as vitamin M because it's so over prescribed and nobody even knows if it really does much. Right. So that's a great point, actually, Neil. Vitamin M, also better known as melatonin really only works in a few circumstances. One of them is that it helps shift workers. So if you're the kind of person, if you're doing an overnight shift, or you know, basically when you're trying to shift from one sleep stage to another in the phase of, in the, in, in the, in the line of work of shift worker, that's where it may be beneficial. It also helps with circadian rhythm disturbance, particularly with travel. Beyond that, the indications are not strong at all. So if you're, you know, if you're the average person who doesn't do shift work and hasn't been in Europe recently or across the world, the, the, the chances that melatonin is going to do anything really beneficial for you is very low. Wow. So this is not really well appreciated yet. It's overprescribed across the entire world and uh, or sometimes even self-prescribed by, by patients and well-meaning people too. But but the issue is that these are things that one has to have a good medical knowledge, or at least just a good general knowledge for, uh, before you know wasting money on something that may not be beneficial. Something that I know that you are really dialed into, especially right now, 
uh, is the trackers um, and 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 being able to track our sleep outside of a laboratory environment. Um, and it's funny, outside of a laboratory environment was how uh, so many of us that grew up in the 70s used to refer to certain chemical experiments that we took part in outside of a uh, laboratory environment. Anyway, um, and, and the conversations I've been having with people about trackers are interesting, and, and you might be up to speed on this as well, is that I have uh, a Fitbit Versa 2 that basically everybody says, listen, if you're going to experiment with all these different things to try and up your N3 sleep, so if you're going to try melatonin, if you're going to try weighted blanket, if you're going to try, uh, you know, angel wing pillows, whatever the heck it is, um, then your Fitbit is probably going to do an accurate, uh, uh, an acceptable job of telling you whether there's been a measurable difference in your sleep. But even that, um, we're closer probably than people might think to being able to get more accurate data at home, aren't we? Yeah. So there are a lot of trackers. Um, we have medical grade trackers. So the best tracker, it's not really quite a tracker, is just coming into the sleep lab, right? And then we test all these different medical products or these commercial products against in laboratory polysomnography. Over the years, these commercial trackers like the Fitbit and other, and there are multiple competitors and multiple people in this field now, mm -hmm. or multiple products in this field rather. Mm -hmm. And they have actually been improving over time. So when I started my practice uh, several years ago, you know, the quality and the accuracy of these trackers wasn't as good as they are right now. And they continue to just get better and better and better. So you can't make a definitive answer, you know, for sure uh, with your Fitbit and, and so on. But they're really improving over time. And I think you can get changes and trends that are valuable and helpful to know about. Uh, but to say, you know, you have like, you know, you know what, I don't know, like, 6.7%, you know, stage N3, that's not gonna be possible for a Fitbit to accurately detect. But you can definitely tell uh, for the categories, you know, of your sleep, it can definitely detect those and and and, and uh, tell you valuable trends over time. So, for example, as far as as far as you're concerned, if my if my deep sleep, uh, whether it's N3 or some other version of deep sleep, if it was to suddenly jump from a seven to an eleven, okay, you know what, my Fitbit's probably going to notice that but it's not going to notice a 7 to a 7.3. You got it. That's right. And it will, it's very valuable that it, the trends are helpful, right? Exactly. And it will notice the big changes. The trend is your friend, as they say. Uh, exactly. That's right. That's right. And in some ways, that's kind of what's important, right? Because every one of us is a different sleeper. Every one of us does things differently and our bodies are different. So, um, so that, and I think that, that we, that's, that's very, very, very valuable. But if you want to get a more precise, you know, precise measure of your sleep, you need to come to the lab. Having said that, even in the lab, if I sent you to the lab again tonight, it's probably going to be different than when you did the sleep study a couple of weeks ago. You know, and every one of us will vary night to night. And that's where these easy to use commercial and comfortable devices are very, very, very valuable. It's interesting how all of this kind of circles back on itself, too, because we talk about the level of general knowledge in the medical profession. And look, if you listened to last week's episode, you heard Guy Leschner say that the medical profession in general is pretty ignorant about sleep. Once you get away from people who have specialized and who have studied sleep, there's a great deal of ignorance about sleep in the medical community. And he wasn't shy about calling it out. But it's not even just the medical community. I mean, you think about the, uh, and, and I think of the story that popped up a couple of weeks ago in California, 
where they have finally agreed to adjust the start times for school because the research is such that they can't really deny anymore that our kids would do better in high school if we addressed biology and the fact that you know melatonin production kicks in at a different time for teenagers and all of that so when you can't argue with the science but it, sometimes it, it is it's just getting government on board to make things better and take what we would think pardon the pun a no-brainer and make that happen right absolutely yeah, so I mean, one thing that, that a lot of work we've been doing around here uh, has been looking at the use of home sleep apnea testing. And this is kind of related to, you know, pushing or, or at least suggesting for the government for different approaches to doing things more efficiently. So, for example, there are these little home sleep apnea tests that you would use at home that could detect sleep apnea actually pretty re- accurately. And they've been all tested against in laboratory polysomnography or like a, or a full in laboratory sleep study. Okay, wait a minute. Let me stop you right there because right now the only way to get a sleep apnea. Correct me if I'm wrong because I usually am. Um, the only way to get a sleep apnea diagnosis is to come to a sleep lab. Am I right? That's right. Right now in Ontario, the only way to get diagnosed formally with a sleep apnea diagnosis that the government will actually reimburse the doctor for is through the use of an in-laboratory sleep study. Like the one I did. Exactly, like okay. that full study. And yet there are these other uh, uh, very accurate and much more convenient and a lot more accessible home sleep apnea tests that could be used. And unfortunately, right now in the gov- in, in, uh, in the province of Ontario, we're not using them at all the or, or in a very limited fashion. And re- really they're being primarily used for sleep studies. One major issue with the use of these monitors is that the government doesn't reimburse physicians for using them. So basically, a doctor, I mean, to make it very clear and plain, a doctor, if you show up to a specialist, a sleep specialist clinic, and they send you to the sleep lab, they get paid so-and-so amounts of money from OHIP, yet if they arrange the home sleep apnea test, which would be a lot more convenient for the patient and and, uh, a lot more accessible, they wouldn't get re- they wouldn't get reimbursed for anything. In case that's a ter- I want to throw a clarification of a term. OHIP is short for uh, Ontario Health Insurance Program, and it's yeah, it's the in, in case you're listening, especially south of the border, um, it's it's the government health care that everybody talks about. Uh, there are some who will uh, talk about it as free health care. It's not free. People's tax dollars pay for it, but it's that's that's what OHIP stands for, and it's probably not the only time in this conversation we're gonna refer to it. Um, What I find interesting about what you just laid out, though, I assume, because when I came here, there were, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Sunnybrook's got three beds in the sleep lab, right? That's right. Yep. So you can deal with three people a day, basically. And and so if if you've got people that are looking for a sleep apnea diagnosis, I assume there's a heck of a wait list. And wouldn't these devices, if they wrapped their arms around it, clear out a chunk of that backlog? There's a big potential for these devices to clear out a lot of the backlog we would have. I mean, and and it's not only at Sunnybrook, but every lab. In fact, Sunnybrook's wait times are relatively short now, but the uh, but other labs around the province are actually having extremely long wait times, and and labs are really v- struggling with huge with huge volumes. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong again. Back to the I frequently am. Sleep apnea is potentially fatal. 
That's right. I mean, it, it's the it's the one condition there that really carries the most medical consequences. And if we can screen a large number of the population, particularly those who are seeking sleep, uh, basically those who are see- seeking sleep consultation and ultimately may uh, would need a sleep study, use of these home sleep apnea tests could really help us become a more efficient system. Um, and and then frankly, the sleep specialists, after they look at the report for the home sleep apnea test, they can decide, does this person need to do a Fulham lab study, but it may not be it may not need to be the entire population. And I assume or the people coming. I assume that when someone like you, for example, evaluates the data that comes back from the home test, you'll be able to tell right away if perhaps there was user error in the way they administered the test to themselves at home. Right? I mean, it's easy to tell. Absolutely, if, yeah. We can tell if the recording was a good quality from looking at the signals, and then also it depends on what the person's complaining about. So, for example, for yourself, Neil, when we were looking for periodic movements, we wanted to track periodic movements. For you, you might have been someone who is better off going to the in-lab test, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 the in-laboratory sleep study. However, other people where their primary issue would be the sleep apnea, that may be less important. It will, it would be, it would be sort of individualized on a case-to-case basis. Well, and it's funny because the reason I came to you in the first place was because my family doctor thought I had sleep apnea. Right, and and you know what, she wasn't wrong, uh, but you know you had sleep disordered breathing, as we had discussed before. Right. right. Okay. So let me just, uh, and I'm sorry to go back to this one more time, uh, and I, I'm I'm tempted to say, talk to me like I'm seven, uh, which most people find useful. Um, we've got we've got a condition that's potentially fatal. You've got, uh, as I'm sitting in your office right now, you've got a shelf full of gear that could uh, help people and clear the backlog and the government says nah you know what we'd rather we'd rather embrace a system that creates the backlog like what what's the leg to stand on when they come back to you and say yes we know there is a system that's better but we're not going to use it how does that fly yeah i mean it's uh I don't it's, want to put you on the spot and like, you know, send you to war against the governor or anything like that. And, and forgive me if I worded it inelegantly, but I, I ask the same question about delaying the school start times in California. I'm like, uh, OK, so if you're going to say no, what's your reason for saying no? So what are you hearing when when you're throwing this at them? Yeah, I mean, it's some people are concerned that if the home sleep apnea test, they don't give the complete picture. But again, my argument for that would be that you will. um you know, you you know again. The specialists can decide if someone really isn't improving on just their CPAP, and they feel that the home sleep apnea test is missing a non-sleep apnea diagnosis. That could always be reimbursed. So that could always be reevaluated, just using a full uh, full in laboratory uh, study, and that could always be something the specialist follows up on. So, I don't think it's a big issue. I think it has just, it hasn't been looked at enough. You know, I think, you know, the government is always and, and, and it's a challenging job to govern a whole huge province like Ontario and others. Um, and uh, it's just something that needs to be considered and taken more seriously. You're so much more charitable than I am. I like that. Uh, no, because I'm one of these people that I, I just look at it and I go, does it make sense? Yep. Is there a significant argument from the other side? Nope. OK, then let's just make it happen, which is probably why. Uh, I'm I'm not in charge of anything, because um, I, I would probably be a disaster. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about your results though for your CPAP on how it did with your uh, you know with your sleep disordered breathing. Yeah, okay, yeah, because because. I mean, for and for anybody that's considering this um, idea of because I, 
Look, there's a reason why in the Star Wars movies you never see a scene where Darth Vader is sleeping because he's got a thing strapped to his face uh, that helps him breathe and and that's why. And if I look, if you were as sleep deprived as Darth Vader because you got a thing strapped to your face, no wonder you've turned to the dark side and you've gone evil because you're angry all the time because you're not getting enough sleep. That having been said, when I came here to sleep with a thing strapped to my face, how did I do? It went great, actually. First of all, how do you find CPAP? What I found weird about it, um, and I've pro- I'm sure you've heard this from people before, trying to talk with a CPAP machine on is unsettling because right. you feel like you can't push air out. Yeah. Uh, because there's always air coming in. And so even when I was trying to talk to uh, Rui, my sleep tech, yeah. who hooked me up with all the gear that night, I was trying to talk to him even just short sentences to tell him whether or not I was comfortable. And I found my words catching in my throat every single time because, you know, you know that moment where, and I'm amazed dogs don't have a bigger problem with this when they stick their head out the car window. But if you've ever got a strong wind coming right at you and you try to talk, there's that moment where your breath catches in your throat. Well, having a CPAP machine on, you feel that way all the time. Right. You know, the um, it takes people, sometimes it takes people a lot of time to get used to it. It could take days, sometimes even weeks to fully get used to just using the mask and, um, and uh, we really encourage actually people to try different masks. The one that I had on was just, it was over my uh, my mouth and my nose. Just over your mouth and nose, right? And I think the one you have on isn't a, isn't a big one. It's just a little small. No, it was a little yeah. guy. Yeah. A little guy, yeah. Um, okay, so in spite of that, apparently I did okay. Yeah, you did great, actually. So we had already talked about how much your sleep uh, improves, so you got more and you, you've, you've, you know, you've uh, really increased your amounts of N3 sleep and also REM sleep. And in terms of the stoppages of breathing, so remember you had those more mild stoppages of breathing about, we said 15.7 times. That's mm-hmm. the respiratory disturbance index or the RDI. The, the times when my wife thinks I've completely stopped breathing and she wakes up wondering if I'm gonna be okay, those moments. <laughs> well, not, not, there are more mild pauses of breathing. Remember they were the hypopneas with arousal. Got it. Okay, so they were the ones where you had, would have a mild pause of breathing and then you'd wake up or your brain, your brain would, would change to be more accurate. So that went down from 15.7 to actually just three. So now everything is completely in the normal range. And your AHI, just for any of our listeners, it went down from a 0.9 to a zero. So you're doing awesome. So basically, we've the CPAP has completely eliminated really any of what we call sleep disorder breathing. It's done a wonderful job for you here. So the combination of the two, the Mirapex and the CPAP, have basically fixed everything except my quality of sleep. In terms of, because for me, quality of sleep is, and, and I get that every stage is important. Um, and, and from all the conversations you and I have had, you've got a pretty clear picture that the thing that's in, in my sights right now that's on my radar is N3. Because right. I hear all the scary stories and I read all the scary things about, uh, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia and cognitive decline and all these different things and how more N3 sleep probably can help you nip those things in the bud or at least hold them at bay for longer, that kind of stuff. And so N3 is on my radar. But it sounds like aside from that, you fixed everything else. Well, everything's looking pretty good. Everything's looking pretty good. Here. You notice what I did there? I gave him all the credit. I turned. I said he fixed everything else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um 
No, I mean, you've, we're also working hard too because getting used to CPAP actually takes quite a bit of effort. I'd really encourage our listeners to, if you are prescribed CPAP by your family, by your by your sleep specialist, to really stick with it. It takes can take a long time to get used to it. I even tell people while you know while they're even doing other stuff around the house or I don't know, even like watching TV or whatever, they could just put a the mask on their nose and over your mouth. You know, and just yeah, because other than cleaning it. Um, it doesn't really take anything, right? Because it's just pushing yeah. air. It's not like you need to go and get an oxygen tank for it or something. No. It's just pushing air. But it's often about getting used to having something on your face. Which yeah, so can you be... can sit there. What I mean when I say that is so you can sit and watch TV or wear it around the house all day or whatever. It's not going to cost you extra. Right, exactly. And just get used to it even before you hit bed. If you've had it on your face for some time before bedtime, it will be so much easier to use when you finally have to use it at night. And you know, and, it, and again, it just gets used to it. And I really encourage people to try different masks, try different, um, you know, tr- try different approaches, go back to your CPAP company if you're having problems and really stick with it. Because as you can see with Neil's example, everything is really, you know, the numbers have all improved. Uh, and the Meripex is doing wonders for your periodic limb movements It's really quashed those quite nicely. So overall, overall, the numbers are good. But the question we got to talk about you now, right? So we got to talk about, you know, how do you feel? So from the perspective of, am I waking up feeling refreshed? Yeah. The answer to that is still no. Mm. Um, uh, am I aware of, uh, am I aware of the fact that I'm not moving around? Actually, no, because I wasn't aware that I was moving around. Right. So it's funny. I don't have any clear indicators and this is kind of the reverse effect of what I've talked to so many people who do what you do for a living, where where people will look at their data and and give it priority over their own sleep perception. And so I, I look at the data and the data is suggesting that I'm doing better. Right. I'm not feeling that yet to the point where actually um, and and sorry to spring this on you and but but I am literally springing it on I was I was getting ready to ask you if if Mirapex might have any side effects that might be leading me to this place where I don't feel a ton different even though the numbers say I should yeah is it possible that the Mirapex is like uh, for lack of a better description weighing me down a little bit well, it can cause it can cause some sleepiness during the day. Mm-hmm. The most common, at least the most concerning side effects for Mirapex and that class of medication like it, what what we know, what we call in the medical field as dopamine agonist, mm-hmm. is the um, is something called an impulse control disorder, where people who, particularly people who had previous issues with these areas, they would get worse. So, excessive gambling, excessive shopping. Um, excessive sexuality um so things like that where people can actually really 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 be held down by these kind of things again it's like an impulse control issue. does the fact that i can't stay away from cookies is that an indicator i mean that's always <laughs> been that, a thing though did that yeah did that get worse after you started doing <laughs> no it's no different it's just been, it's been it's consistently bad my whole life uh okay so it's not so, i mean those are that would be the major side effects and then you know the product monograph well you know everyone can develop a rash or allergic reaction that's not that common with meripex but it can happen nope. sometimes people again the somnolence Occasionally, people will feel nauseous with it. Um, those kind of things. I've had the odd patient feel really, really. They wake up the next day feeling really unwell or dizzy. But again, it, it, again, side effects like any other medication are often variable yeah. across person to person. And to be clear, I've got none of those. Yeah. Um, it's just that 
for someone whose data has changed as dramatically to the positive as mine has, I was expecting to feel differently. Yeah, so it's one of those things where, you know when you go to your doctor and they tell you, oh, your blood pressure is really high, and you pop a pill and, and you know, you start taking a pill for a couple of weeks, you go back to the doctor and they measure your blood pressure again, it's okay, and you know, it's like, congratulations, your blood pressure is normal. And your body feels absolutely no different at mm -hmm. all, right? So it may be one of those things, same thing with cholesterol. You can go to your doctor, have high cholesterol, I know that's not your case, uh, but you know, we, we prescribe like gummy bears, uh, you know, you know, cholesterol lowering medications and yeah and you can do your blood test again in a couple of months come back the blood the numbers are all fixed and yet you yourself feel no different right, right. so unless the things sometimes are in the extremes and maybe with the exception you know, in your case maybe the extreme issue was the periodic limb movements but the sleep apnea or the sleep disordered breathing bit wasn't really an extreme so we fixed it and yet you don't feel a major, major, uh, you know what I mean? You don't feel a major difference. It may be comparable to like what we do with blood pressure and cholesterol. The other thing is that it may be that the long-term effects of these and these positive changes are more, are going to be something that we would, you would see after many years. Right. It, it, it'll, it'll, the, the feel, the good, the good feeling will kick in over time. Right. It may, it may be that, or the good feeling would be more transcribed in the fact that you may actually just be warding off. You may be very substantially lowering your risk of stuff like dementia and mm -hmm. stroke, heart attack, which I wouldn't and know all that badness, which you wouldn't know right now. Right. Yet your arteries and your blood vessels inside of you might actually be, you know, saying, give you the thumbs up. That might, that might be, not, that might not be translating though to you, waking up feeling super refreshed. And it may be a, a simple case of sleep state misperception too, because I mean, my wife will tell you that my, from her perspective on the other side of the bed, my quality of sleep has increased exponentially, like off the charts improvement. It's right. just funny that every possible indicator is there saying things are better except for the how do I feel? How one, do you feel when you're coming? Which is interesting. And I mean, I, I, you're right. I mean, as time goes on, We'll see where this goes. One thing I wish I had done yeah. um, when we first started, it's too late now to, to throw it in as something I did out of the gate, but it would be interesting to pick it up now. Um, Adrian Owen and his team out at Western yeah. put together this brilliant series of tests that you can do on your computer yeah. that will basically test your cognitive performance. And they're available to everybody, and you can go back and you can try them again and again. And, and you know, the way he described it is take it, do, do, that, do the tests for the first time after you've had like a week of good sleep. Yeah. And then try it. And then you can use it on a repetitive, but you can go back, try the test again, try the test again, try the test again um, every so often and see where your cognitive performance is because that's where the rubber meets the road inevitably is is how it's impacting you on a moment-to-moment, decision-to-decision basis. So it might be interesting to pick that up and see as time goes on if I'm noticing any kind of an improvement in that arena which would be fun it'd be fun to try it'd be pretty cool eh? it would have been something cool and, and again that'll be the kind of thing you'd try you know maybe every couple of months and see how are you know are you improving are your scores getting better yeah because it's not going to change day to day and, no. and it's the same as with anything whether it's your tracker whether it's your performance on one of these tests yada yada if you're expecting performance to improve 
over 24 hours, okay, wait, we need to dial back the expectations a little bit. Exactly, exactly. The other thing then for you is, is again, is how much sleep are you getting per night? So sometimes if you're not getting enough sleep overall anyway, then any beneficial effect that we're seeing on our, you know, objectively on our sleep studies may not be translating to the feeling being refreshed. So what time do you usually go to bed? Normally, I'm normally in bed by nine. Nine o'clock. And what time? And are you that up? and it can be as early as seven thirty. As early as seven thirty. Okay. Okay. And uh, what time are you usually uh, wake up? Um, it's funny. I was I was talking to uh, one of the other people here at the hospital out in the hallway, uh, and I said uh, the first alarm goes off at about two thirty. The right. alarm of last resort goes off at three ten because I'm smart enough to know that I'm not always going to necessarily respond to that first alarm. First one, eh? yeah. And so the 310 alarm is loud enough to wake up everybody in the house. And so there's a piece of my brain that goes, okay, I get it. You want to lie here for another 10 minutes, but if you lie here for 11 minutes, you're screwed. <laughs> right, right. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, I mean, like, for example, if you're waking, if you're going to bed at nine and waking up at two 30, like that's like, that's like it's five and a half hours of sleep. That's just not enough sleep. No, it's not enough. And, and, and so and, nine was like the worst case scenario. Yeah. Nine is the worst case. But say you went to bed at seven 30. So I'll be like, sad. so it's about seven hours of sleep. Your body still might need a little bit more, you know, your body might still need a little bit more sleep, you know? And we usually for most adults, we, we recommend, eight hours of sleep per night uh, for the continuously day. continuously yeah so if so actually and this is an important thought to throw in if I bust out five and a half hours at night and throw in a two and a half hour nap in the middle of the day that doesn't count it doesn't count as much yeah it's better really because I can't add those together and go look I got eight hours of sleep no I didn't I got five and a half and right. then I got a two and a half hour nap that's that in the ideal world, Neil, you'd be getting about eight hours of sleep every night. If you did that, I think I think your your body's dealing I think the reason why you're not feeling refreshed is your body's dealing with this overall sleep debt, particularly a nocturnal sleep debt where it's just not getting enough sleep. And I think that's actually gonna be the main reason for why the stage N three sleep is has improved, like thank God, through the use of CPAP and your great efforts. But but it's still not all the way there yet because your body hasn't doesn't have enough hours of sleep to actually generate the I don't know if that makes sense but you know mm -hmm. to generate the N three sleep, um, so so yeah I mean I I think again overall things are you know things are really really improved but I think you need more sleep I think that's going to give you the subjective feeling of sleep if you had a week off and caught up you know on your sleep that my guess is that you'd you know after a week of you know not doing any work and just sleeping in every day and for you sleeping in would be <laughs> what till five in the morning it's <laughs> for me <laughs> yeah this morning i got out of bed at about five thirty, and i felt like such a sloth right, like, <laughs> because so we're lazy. yeah we're recording this on a, on a day uh, coincidentally when i i have the day off from work and so yeah five thirty is when i i got right. up and i thought just wow. out of interest do you feel refreshed today um uh no no, I, no. Yeah, and I think it's the cumulative sleep debt. That's the thing, though. Is that I mean, I think if you gave yourself a couple more days, like today, just I mean, just saying, just to actually sleep in and sleep as your body needs, and eventually, I mean, for anyone out there, if you're using an alarm clock to wake up, it means that your body is sleep deprived. Is my strategy of hitting the snooze button not the name of the podcast not the podcast but the actual snooze button um, is that sabotaging my sleep? Is it making it harder for me to catch up on this sleep debt? You know, it's hard to say. I think the reason why you're doing it is because when you first, your first alarm kind of wakes you up, but you're still not fully awake, 
right? Yeah. And then your next alarm is like, if you don't get out of here right now, buddy, you're you know, you're a big major. You're gonna be late for work. You're yeah, yeah. Late for work, which would be bad. Not and that, and you're gonna right. have an entire uh, awake household full of people who won't be very happy with me. <laughs> right, right. So it's it's kind of the strategy that you've developed over the years to make sure that you can actually get out of you know get out of bed in time. One of the dangers is that if you made your last, if you made your first and per, potentially only alarm. The later one, like mm-hmm. the three, was it? I think you said three ten or so on. Yep. Um, you might, you know, say you slept through that, then you'd be in big trouble, right? I mean, that would be, and your body may not be accustomed to, to, um, to, you know, to, to actually getting out and getting ready to go. So I guess there's two sides to your question: a, to get the job done, and to get, you know, literally get the job done and get to work on time. Your setup is good. But can you overall consolidate some uninterrupted sleep for more than seven or eight hours? You know? Right. And I, I, I get I get what you mean, because I, you're not the only one who, who you know tells me that they use multiple alarm clocks. And I think sort of the first alarm clock sort of <laughs> makes sure, you know, you're semi conscious. At least you've gone into a lighter sleep stage. So that when the second one flips up, you know, gets um you know, goes on, then you can actually wake up. Yeah. And, and, and I guess the question of, of, you know, would I be more, would I be better served by sleeping for that extra 40 minutes in between my two thirty alarm? You probably would be the question though. You probably would be, but the question is, will you get out of bed and go to work? Right. right. Yeah. Because that's the danger. Because everybody who does what I do for a living, we have that ultimate alarm clock, which is somebody at work waiting for you at the other end that calls you at a certain time. Go, are are you coming in today? Is that, right. it would be nice to see your face. Yeah. Um, for me, that alarm goes off at five where, where if I'm not uh, walking through the doors of the radio station by five o'clock, somebody calls me and says, you're on your way, right? You know? Right. Absolutely. I have a question. Could you do it from home? No, you can't work from home, eh? Because no. uh, I mean, it's a radio sort of, um, Oh, I wish that's a whole other conversation. Um, so it feels like I'm on the right track. I mean, I, like I say, I mean, I'm kind of obsessed with this whole N3 thing. Um, and I don't know if that's a smart obsession to have, uh, but it's the obsession that I'm, I'm moving forward with for now because it seems like if I'm going to – it seems like everything else is underway except for that. So for having resolved my – my big sleep problems, I'm eternally grateful, um, you know, because it looks like everything's pointing in the right direction. And now we get to have the fun of, of seeing where it goes from here. So thank you for not only the time today uh, and the insight, um, but, you know, thanks for thanks for pushing this sled down the hill and we'll see where it goes. It's completely my pleasure. Anytime, Neil. Thank you so much for the very kind opportunity. Thank you. Thanks again to Dr. Mark Bulis, Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto, my sleep doctor. And thank you to you for helping us stay ranked as one of the category leaders in the United States, Canada, and in Germany. Thank you to all the sleepless people who are, like me, trying to find answers out there. Uh, You can help us out even more by subscribing. And if you are already subscribed, great. Pass a link on to thesnoozebutton.com slash podcast to a friend. Keep in mind, there's also so the short version of the show, the Snooze Button Express, where we take everything you just heard and jam it down into a nine-minute highlight package episode. On next week's show, giveaways. We're giving away books from the authors who have been guests on past editions. And also, as our special guest next week, we start our celebrity series with one of my comedy idols. That's Monday, December the 2nd, here on the Snooze Button Podcast. My name's Neil. Hey, get some sleep, would you? Hey.